reading from Matthew chapter 6, but I'm, I'm only going to read one verse because we've already given the Lord's Prayer a couple of times. And so I'm going to read from uh, uh, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Lord's Prayer came about because the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray as John the Baptist has taught his disciples to pray. And we all want to learn how to pray more effectively to do the best job that we can. There was a story told about a woman and she was preparing a meal for many of the people at church that she had invited to her house. It was a very hot day and she was tired and hot and she did all the cooking and did all the cleaning and then all the people came and they were sitting around the table and she asked her daughter, she said, would you bless the food? Would you pray? And she said, well, Mommy, I don't know what to pray. She said, well, just pray the last thing that you heard me pray. And so she said, well, dear Lord, why in the world did I invite all these people on such a hot day? <laughs> That's probably not the kind of prayer that we need to learn. But we do want to learn from these words. Now, Jesus probably preached and spoke in Aramaic. Aramaic is a sister language to Hebrew. And Jesus probably talked to his disciples most often in Aramaic. And this prayer was likely given first in Aramaic. The prayer is actually in a Jewish uh, poem. It's, in, in Jewish poetry, they don't rhyme like they do in English. But they say something once, and then they say either the same thing or the opposite to help to explain it better. And so that's what we have here. Uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want for us to, uh, to look at this because this is a perfect prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It is called the Model Prayer. It's probably not a prayer that Jesus prayed because it asked about forgiveness of sin. Jesus was the perfect Son of God that knew no sin. But I think it does reflect parts of what Jesus probably prayed because He was a man of great prayer. And He went to the Father often uh, giving His prayers. So in here, I want for us to look at the words in the first couplet. Just look at each one of these words to see what it means for us. First of all, there is the word our. He says our Father. Nowhere in the prayer... Does it ask anything personally? Does it say I or me or my? It says our. It says us. It sounds says we. And that lets us know that uh, when we're praying, a large part of our prayer ought to be corporate for all the people of God. We need to pray for our family. We need to pray for our church. We need to pray for the fellowship of believers around the world. Part of prayer is asking on behalf of all of the people of God. You know, and, uh, we're going to be looking at the Purpose Driven Life starting in February. And in that book, uh, the first part of it says, uh, in finding God's purpose, it is not about you. Finding your purpose in life is not about you, it's about God. Likewise, in prayer before God, it is not about you. 
It is about all of the people of God. And we often pray very selfishly. We ask only for personal things. And we need to be praying corporately. In addition to that, and also this hour uh, uh, refers to the personal nature of our relationship with God. We're not praying to a rock or a tree or one of the false gods. We are praying to the Almighty God that wants a relationship with us. God loves us. And God wants good things for us. And in our prayers as we pray our, it lets us know this is a God that wants to have a relationship with us. And we acknowledge that relationship. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Enoch. Not, not very much is said about Enoch. It's said that uh, first of all he lived for 65 years and evidently there was nothing memorial about, about those first years. But then he had a son. And at that point, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God. At the end of a period of time of walking with God, God took him. One of the few people in the Bible that did not die, but God simply took him. I can't promise you that if you pray in that kind of relationship and you are walking with God, that God's not going to let you die. But it does show the object of life is to have a relationship with God. Just to walk with Him as nearly every day as we possibly can. He is the Almighty God, but that Almighty God cares about you and wants a relationship with you. Our. The second word is the word Father. I said a few weeks ago, and you probably don't remember it, I think Norm wasn't paying attention, but uh, I said that Jesus is the unique Son of God. In John 3.16 where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That word, I know a few Greek words from when I took Greek years ago. That word is the word monogonous. In other places in Greek, that word is translated as unique. Jesus is a one-of-a-kind Son of God. He is the unique Son of God. And because we have faith in Him, it allows us to become the adopted sons of God. There are a number of places that this is given, but in John, Galatians chapter 4, 5-7 to 7 it says, Jesus came to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His Son, God sent the Spirit of His Son into the hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you an heir. We are adopted children of God. We belong to Him. And we are part of Him. Jesus spoke, as we said in Aramaic, and the, the Aramaic word for Father is Abba. But Abba is not quite as formal as our word Father. The closest that we could get would be to say Daddy. Now, it, sounds, it would sound a little strange for us to pray the Lord's Prayer and say Daddy, and yet that is the word... Arabic is another sister language to Hebrew and Aramaic. And in modern Arabic, 
The children will say to their father as they're sitting on the lap, Yaba, Father, Daddy. I've often wondered why some people do not believe in God. I, I was reading a book a number of years ago. It's by a psychiatrist by the name of Ignace Lepp. And it's called Atheism in Our Time. And he at one time was an atheist and a communist. But he came to Christ and he wrote this book. And he said that one reason that some people reject God is because they had a very bad relationship with their own personal father. They reject their father because God is seen as a representative of their own earthly father. I have found that to be true in people that I've encountered. I, I've encountered several atheists in my life and one of them was uh, a relative. and I won't mention her name, but her father was a pastor. And she claimed to be an atheist. I was always intrigued by you know, what logical arguments she was using in her mind to justify not believing in God. And so one day I was sitting down with her and I, I asked her about this. I said, you know, what are the logical reasons that you have for believing there's no God? And she told a story. She said when she was growing up, she was voted in high school as the homecoming queen. But her father was very strict and he would not allow her to go to the event. She had a lot of resentment for her father because of that. And as a result, she didn't believe in God. And so I, I said, well, you know, I really thought that you had some logical reasons for this. Uh, don't you have any? And she said nothing. All she said was, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Well, I didn't take the clue and I just kept talking. <laughs> and so she just stood up and walked out. It wasn't that she had all these reasoned arguments for not believing in God. It was because she resented her own father that she was rejecting God. A few years ago, I decided to start a skeptic's Bible study. That seemed like a good idea because I had some friends that were skeptics and so we gathered together every week for a Bible study. And one lady there said to me, you know, I'm an atheist. I said, okay. Uh, tell me about it. So we talked a little bit. And I told her, you know, I, I've seen various reasons for people rejecting a belief in God, but rarely is it a logical one. And so she told me she, when she was growing up, her father was mean and cruel to her. And also she had a puppy. And she prayed that God would keep her father from harming the puppy. But the father killed the dog. And as a result of that, she rejected God because God did not answer her prayer. And it was kind of interesting as we talked more about the reasons for believing in God... She accepted Christ into her life and I baptized her and she became a member of the church. We pray, our Father. And even if you have had, even if we've had a bad relationship with our earthly father, we should know that we have a God, a Father, that loves us and cares about us and is different than any earthly father. There are two senses of fatherhood. One is paternity, 
And I know of uh, a guy that doesn't know his own personal father. He was the first test tube baby in his country. The only way he found out anything was to do a DNA test. He learned something at least about his ancestry. But the second use of the word is his fatherhood. And that's the God to which we pray. Our Father. Then, our Father who is in heaven, which art in heaven, number three. Where exactly is heaven? And in the New Testament times, they had a better conception than we do because they believed the earth was flat. And so above them, somewhere above the clouds, was the heavens. Literally, the plural, in the heavenlies. This word here is plural. Today we have a different concept of the world. We know that the world is round. And where exactly in a round world is heaven? Well, we know that God is not located above us today. Not in the sense that we would think about it. And yet God is there and the heavens are genuine, real. I read a few years ago about a cosmonaut and he went up in orbit and he looked around and he said he didn't see God and as a result of that he decided not to believe in God. Yet I have heard from astronauts that have been in the same area and they saw all the detail and the handiwork of God and they said yes, there is a God. Exactly is heaven? Is it behind the moon? In another solar system? Perhaps in another dimension? The answer is that we really do not know, but we get some clues as Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman. Uh, the woman came to him and Jesus began to talk about spiritual matters. He kind of led into it and probably as a distraction. That was a little too uncomfortable. She said, Well, where are we to worship God? Are we to worship Him at Mount Gerizim, right here, where we Samaritans worship, or in Jerusalem, where the Jews worship God? Jesus said, God is spirit, and those that worship Him worship Him in spirit and truth. We don't understand the spiritual completely because we are physical creatures. And yet God is a spirit and there is a place of heaven and I don't know exactly where it is but I know God is there. And the Bible says that at that place there's going to be no more sorrow, no more separation, no more tears and God is going to wipe away all of our tears. And we know that wherever that location is, God is there. And Paul said, absent from the body and present with the Lord. So wherever heaven is, that is the place that we go when we die. And we are going to be in God's presence forever. Then the last part of this little couplet, Hallowed be thy name. Now you probably already know that the word hallowed means holy. About the only way that we use it in English is to to talk about Halloween, but the word hallow actually means holy. It is sacred. It is sanctified. All those 
those are related together. And it means to be separated, to be different. And so, in the Bible, it talks about the holy prophets, because they were to be different than other people. The holy priest, because they were to be different than other priests. The holy temple, because it was to be different than another place of worship. The holy Bible, because that book is different than all other books. We know that the greatest difference, though, is the difference of our God. Our God is different than any other. False gods or idols or whatever, our God is a different God. We know that He is a spirit, and we are not spiritual creatures. We know that He is powerful. He, in fact, is all-powerful. He is knowledgeable. In fact, He is all-knowing. He is a God that is everywhere present. A holy God. When Isaiah was in the temple, in Isaiah chapter 6, he had a vision. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and sitting upon the throne. And all around there were angels. And the angels were saying, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole world is filled with His glory. Whenever you find the holiness of God in the Bible, you almost always find His glory. Someone has said that glory really is the holiness of God that is revealed to us. You recall that uh, Moses asked God if he could see his face. He was asking to see God's glory. Now that wasn't possible because we are sinners. And if a sinner sees the holy, awesome God, (laughs) he'll die. And so God said, no, you can't do that, but I tell you what, I'll go by and I'll let you see me from the backside. That's as much as you're able to look at and still live. And so that's what happened. He saw uh, the backside of God's glory. On another occasion, Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And he was there for 40 days. And he didn't see God. He just heard God. But even that kind of contact with God, when he came down the mountain, the Bible says that his face glowed. And he was not even aware of it. But people were afraid because he was glowing and so he had to wear a veil until it began to wear off. At the transfiguration, the Bible says that the face of Jesus glowed brighter than the sun. And his clothes were shining and bright. In Revelation, it says that when the Lord comes back, his face is going to glow. The glory of his his face is going to shine brighter than the sun. Hallowed be thy name. This morning we were listening on the radio, on, on the cell phone actually. And the song says, I bow down and call holy 
my, bowed on my knees and cried holy. So it shall be one day as we stand before God. The Bible says that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we shall see Him in all His glory. We shall see Him in all of His holiness. And then finally it says uh, the name. Hallowed be thy name. My parents, I think it was my grandmother, they came up with the, the name for Wayne. It doesn't really mean anything. I've looked it up. It means a wagon maker and I've never made a wagon in my life. But in biblical times it was important that when somebody had a name that described who they all were. It described their character. And so God has some names and there are many of them. Uh, El Shaddai that means God Almighty. Uh, he is called uh, Lord Adonai. There are many words that are used but the primary word that is used to name God is Yahweh or Yahweh as some would say. And remember again when Moses Moses said uh, Lord you want me to go to deliver those people out of Egypt? Well who shall, whom shall I say sent me? What's your name? So I can at least give them your name. He said, tell them, I am has sent you. I am that I am, or in the imperfect, I will be whom I will be. Eternal God. The everlasting God. As in Revelation it says, the one who was, who is, and is to come. That is the God to whom we pray. The everlasting God that is infinitely greater than anything that we could imagine. I was reading a story about. Well, I went to the I went to the uh, Abraham Lincoln Memorial in Washington a number of years ago, and it was really impressive. You see Lincoln you know, sitting down in the chair with his arms, a huge statue inside the entranceway of the Lincoln Memorial. A pastor said that he went there and he said he saw one man take off his hat and put it over his heart in respect of the Lincoln Memorial, for what Lincoln had done. And another man was there spouting profanity and he had tobacco and he was spitting on the, on the concrete below, showing a complete lack of respect. So it is when we behold the Almighty God. Holy is your name. Some may disrespect Him now, but it shall not always be that way. On that day, truly every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you bow with me? Gracious God and Almighty Savior, we come before You to recognize that You are our Father. You want a relationship with us. But You are also the Holy God that is transcendent from us. Much bigger than us. More than we could ever comprehend or understand. And God, we come today bowing before You and worshiping You because You alone are worthy 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.